Okay. Have I got any kind of sound? I've got some sound. Let's make that <coughs> real sound. All right, that's better. So, welcome to Friday evening's evening of metaphysical speculation. Uh, this is a trial run for tomorrow's live show. I thought I'd test it out a little bit. So, this is what it's going to sound like tomorrow. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. It's 4pm in the UK and 11am on the East Coast in the States. And the show starts now. free association it's friday evening and i'm just i'm doing a trial run for the show that i'm going to do live on revolution radio tomorrow so i've got, got a, a few clips lined up on the theme of uh the dance of shiva and the first piece is aldous huxley so this is about seven minutes it's not too long I played it before, but I like I like the audio piece. It sets the show up nicely. When you think of the staggering symbols that the Indians produced, I mean the the dancing Shiva, for example, we've never produced anything as comprehensive as this. The dancing Shiva, those little bronze statues. It is the the Shiva with four arms dancing with one foot raised. 
Uh, and well, I mean, I go into the details. They're really quite extraordinary. It's uh, the, the figure stands within a great circle, a sort of halo, which has flames going out. I mean, the symbols of flames. And this is the the circle of mass, energy, space, time. I mean, this is the material world, the great world of all-embracing material world with its flames. Within this, Shiva dances. He's called Nataraja, the lord of the dance. And he dances, he's everywhere in the universe. I mean, this is, this is his dance. The, the manifestation of the world is called his lila, his play. It's, uh, I mean, he sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. and He's not a, he's beyond good and evil, of course. It's all an immense manifestation of play. Uh, his... Uh, he has this long hair, which is the hair of the yogi, contemplative, and it streams out to the limits of the universe, you see. Therefore, he, this sort of yogic knowledge of this contemplation includes everything. He has four arms. In the upper right arm, he holds a little drum, which is the drum which summons things into creation. You beat upon this drum, things come into existence. In his left arm, he holds a fire which is what destroys everything. He both creates and destroys. His uh, lower right hand is held up in this attitude, which means be not afraid in spite of everything. It is all right. The other hand points down at his feet and one foot is planted squarely on the back of a repulsive dwarf, this infinitely powerful dwarf called Muyalaka, I think his name is, who is the uh, the ego. And he has to break the back of the ego, you see. The, uh, what he's really pointing at is the other foot, which is raised. And this means this foot is raised against gravitation and is the symbol of um, spiritual contemplation. The whole thing is there, you see. I mean, the, the world of space and time and matter and energy the world of um, creation and destruction, um, the world of the psychology, I mean, how do you get out of this? I mean, if you don't break the back of the ego, you're lost. And if you don't uh, uh, practice um, contemplation, uh, there will be no liberation for you. I mean, it, uh, we don't have anything remotely approaching such a comprehensive symbol, which is both cosmic and psychological and spiritual. I mean, it is really a most unfortunate that we have such miserable uh, symbols. It's part of uh, the regular Hinduism, but it is specifically Shivaite. And then one of the manifestations, of course, is called Bhairava of Shiva, who is also dancing, but he dances in cemeteries. And I mean, to remind us that um, the dance of life isn't always very jolly. I mean, that he dances just as much in in misery and death as in life and elation. And, and this has to be accepted. And of course, again, it's only by the lifted foot that we can accept it. I mean, it actually is completely compatible with the modern scientific idea. I mean, it includes the world, you see, of mass, energy, space and time. Uh, and the idea of the, of the infinite energy dancing timelessly and forever through this world. Uh, dancing through human uh, mentality, too. I mean... Uh, that the world is felt to be, of course, a kind of outrage because the play goes on even inside ourselves, although we are sentient beings, and yet the hand is raised, everything is finally all right in spite of everything, if 
As Buddha says, I show you sorrow and the ending of sorrow. The ending of sorrow is putting your foot on the back of the dwarf and raising the, foot, the other foot in, uh, against gravity into the state of contemplation. I mean, the whole thing is there, stated in this uh, single, extremely elegant. I mean, the, the, these uh, Shiva images from the south of India are very, very elegant. They're most beautiful pieces of sculpture, the best of them. But uh, it's a shame we don't have any good symbols like this uh, to, uh, to remind us of who we are and of uh, what we can do about it, if anything. No, we're very, very poor in it. I mean, we have some of the Christian symbols, but they're not very good. The symbol of the cross is, is fairly good, but it's, it's, uh, it doesn't take into account the sort of cosmic side of life. I mean, it doesn't take into account mass, energy, space, and time which is essential, doesn't take into account, I mean, as it stands, it doesn't take into account the uh, importance of uh, contemplation. No, it's, uh, I mean, we, there are other symbols, of course, within Christianity which do, but uh, a single comprehensive symbol like the Shiva symbol we do not have, and it's very unfortunate. This whole business of the, of the organized um, Manipulation of um, symbols is, uh, I mean, the, the, the human mind is a, a symbolific instrument. I mean, it, it exists to manufacture symbols, to turn immediate experience into symbols for the purpose of managing it with a, in a fairly convenient way. Uh, the question is, uh, can we get on with uh, fairly scientific symbols? realistic symbols and then uh, concentrate on the immediate experience. I don't know. I mean, I, I simply don't know whether this is a possible as a sort of general uh, attitude towards the world. I think it's certainly possible in, the, in, in isolated individuals, but uh, whether in fact it will ever turn out to, to be something which appeals to great numbers of people, I have no idea. So that's Aldous Huxley speaking about the dancing Shiva, which is a an image that I've had in my head all week. Um, I found a a piece by Shunya Murthy talking about Shiva last week, and it stuck in my head. So I've kind of come full circle. I did a show with with that particular clip of Aldous Huxley in it about two years ago. So it's interesting that I've come back full circle. Uh, it's a little bit more information about the mythology of Shiva. Shiva, otherwise known as the Destroyer, is one of the most important deities in the Hindu pantheon. 
as one of the three supreme gods sitting alongside Brahma, the creator, and Vishnu, the preserver. Shiva plays a key role throughout the mythology of Hinduism. Although his title of the destroyer may suggest a villainous role, Shiva is a far more complex figure. So, who really is Shiva and what does he represent? Let's find out together right now. There are a few different myths that claim to explain the birth of Shiva, but the most popular begins with an argument between Brahma and Vishnu, with each claiming that they were the strongest of the gods. Suddenly, in the middle of the argument, a blazing pillar appeared. Its branches and roots reached farther than the ends of the earth and heavens. Reacting swiftly, Brahma transformed himself into a goose and flew to the top of the pillar, but he could not find it. Vishnu transformed into a boar and tunneled through the earth to find the roots of the pillar, but he was equally unable to reach his goal. With neither god able to locate the end, they returned to where they started, just in time to see Shiva appear from inside of the pillar. They immediately knew that Shiva had great power and accepted that he was an equal and fellow ruler of the universe. Shiva plays many roles in Hinduism and represents many qualities. One of the most well-known responsibilities of Shiva is as the destroyer. In Hinduism, the universe is thought to regenerate in cycles. At the end of each cycle, Shiva destroys the universe and everything in it, but not out of vindictiveness or evil, but to allow a rebirth and the creation of a new cycle to begin. He must destroy the universe in order for it to be recreated. As an example of the complexity of his character, in complete juxtaposition to his role as the destroyer, one of Shiva's other key responsibilities is to dance. His dancing symbolizes truth and is meant to rid the world of ignorance and help to end the suffering of those who worship him, sometimes referred to as the Lord of Dance. It is said that the rhythm of his dance serves as a metaphor for the balance of the universe. These two roles combine harmoniously for his most important dance of all, the Tandav. It is known as the cosmic dance of death and is only performed at the end of a cycle when the universe is to be destroyed. Shiva is also the great ascetic, abstaining from all forms of indulgence and pleasure, concentrating rather on meditation as a means to find perfect happiness. He also, however, has a darker side as the leader of evil spirits, ghosts, and as the master of thieves, villains, and beggars. Shiva is usually shown in a yogic position, he has a blue face and throat, while his body is either white or blue, depending on the artistic representation. He has a third eye, which represents his insight and wisdom. Some believe that the extra eye holds onto his untamed energy. Shiva is also shown with a cobra necklace that signifies his power over dangerous creatures. It is said that the cobra symbolizes Shiva's power of destruction. Just as the snake sheds its skin to make way for new skin, Shiva destroys the universe to make room for recreation. Shiva is also shown with a trident, which represents the three functions of the Hindu triumvirate. It should also be noted that while other gods are shown with lavish clothing and belongings, Shiva is usually shown with simple clothing and backgrounds. His wife is commonly shown by his side, as their relationship is equal. Shiva is also shown as a smiling and tranquil god, despite being the destroyer. His half-open eyes are said to symbolize the cycle of the universe. When he opens his eyes, a new cycle of creation starts. But if he ever closes them, 
This is the start of the end of the universe. There are three lines of ashes on Shiva's forehead. They are known as the Viguti, and are meant to symbolize the immortality of Shiva and his manifested glory. Shiva is usually shown wearing the skin of an elephant and deer. The elephant skin represents pride, while the deer skin symbolizes the flickering mind. Wearing both shows that Shiva has conquered both vices. Shiva also wears a necklace made from 108 beads formed from the seeds of the Rudraska tree. The beads are said to represent all the elements used in the creation of the world. The necklace illustrates how Shiva is firm in his laws and strictly maintains law and order. Shiva's wife was Parvati, often incarnated as Kali or Durga. She was in fact a reincarnation of Sati, the daughter of the god Daksha. Daksha did not approve of Sati's marriage to Shiva and in response held a special sacrificial ceremony that all the gods except Shiva. Outraged at this slight, Sati threw herself on the sacrificial fire. Shiva reacted to this tragedy by creating two demons from his hair who wreaked havoc on the ceremony and beheaded Daksha. The other gods appealed to Shiva to end the violence and, complying, he brought Daksha back to life but with the head of a ram or goat. Sati was eventually reincarnated as Parvati in her next life and she remarried Shiva. With Parvati, Shiva had a son, the god Ganesha. The boy was in fact created out of earth and clay to keep her company and protect her while Shiva went on his meditative wanderings. However, Shiva returned one day and, finding the boy guarding the room where Parvati was bathing, he inquired who he was. Not believing the boy was his son and thinking him an impudent beggar, Shiva called up demons who fought the boy and eventually managed to distract him with the appearance of the beautiful Maya and, whilst he admired such beauty, they lopped off his head. At the commotion, Parvati rushed from her bath and screamed that her son had been killed. Realising his error, Shiva then sent for a new head with which to make the boy whole again. But the nearest at hand was the head of an elephant. And so Ganesha, the elephant-headed god, was born. Other sons of Shiva are Skanda, the god of war, and Kuvera, the god of treasures. There are many tales and myths about Shiva, as you would expect from such an important figure in the pantheon. Many speak of his self-sacrifice, such as the time when Vasuki, the king of serpents, threatened to vomit snake venom across the seas. Shiva, assuming the form of a giant tortoise or turtle, collected the venom in his palm and drank it. The poison burned his throat and left a permanent blue scar. Hence, one of his many titles became Nilakantha, or Blue Throat. Or the time when he was able to tame the sacred Ganges River, which flows from the Himalayas. At one time, the Ganges passed only through the heavens, leaving the earth dry. After the course of the river was changed, it became a raging torrent and threatened to flood the earth. Shiva stood beneath the river and let its waters flow through his hair to calm its torrent. Another celebrated episode describes how Shiva became associated with the bull Nandi. One day, Sarabi, who was the original mother of all the world's cows, began to give birth to an untold number of perfectly white cows. The milk from all these cows flooded the home of Shiva, somewhere in the Himalayas. Angry at this disturbance to his meditation, the god struck the cows with fire from his third eye. In consequence, patches of the cow's hides were turned brown. Still angry, the other gods sought to calm Shiva down by offering him a magnificent bull, Nandi, the son of Sarabi and Kasyapa, which Shiva accepted and rode. 
Nandi also became the protector of all animals. These stories of Shiva and the many more that exist all speak to his complex character as a god that represents numerous themes and ideas. He is as much associated with goodness, benevolence and protection as he is with destruction, creation and time. Shiva is a fascinating and awe-inspiring deity from Hinduism that continues to capture the imagination of millions around the world with his many tales and many roles, the destroyer, the dancer, the master of time and meditation, Lord Shiva. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the There you go, that's a, a summary of the uh, narratives around uh, the Hindu god Shiva. I'm finding the whole symbolism and the union of life and death very interesting and I'm also finding the, the idea of walking through the world and seeing the dance of Shiva as that as being very helpful indeed so I've got one more piece to play which is Shunyamurti and I thought this is worth sharing so it's, this again is about it's about 8 or 9 minutes so it's not too long all of you have the Buddha nature. Do you realize that? In a Shaivite Sangha, they would say, all of you are Shiva. There's nothing but Shiva. There's nothing that is not Shiva. Or in a Hindu satsang, they would say, we all have Krishna consciousness. Or we might say in a Christian gathering, we all have Christ consciousness. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew Kabbalistic meeting, they might say you are filled with the Ruach HaKodesh or the Shekhinah. All the traditions are referring to the same truth. But the ego puts some fine print under that truth. And it says, yes, we all have the Buddha nature, except my husband, <laughs> or except my wife, except my boss, or except those Nicaraguans. But no, the Nicaraguans have Buddha nature. Even your husband has Buddha nature. Even some gringos have Buddha nature. <laughs> Okay, not the Republicans, but... <laughs> no, even Sarah Palin has the Buddha nature. We can't make any exceptions. And once we eliminate that fine print of the exceptions, then we're liberated. Because we have to recognize that what the Buddha nature means, it means that we are empty of any substantial identity. Each of us is a range of potentials. At one moment, yes, we could each be a, a criminal and at the next moment a saint, the next moment a Buddha. We all have that full range of potential. And if I see you as the Buddha, 
that encourages that side of the potential to emerge. If I see you as a criminal, as unlikable, unlovable, unworthy, then that's probably what you'll show me. So do yourself a favor and see the other as the Buddha, as well as offering that as a gift to the other. Because the other is empty, just as the self is empty. But we have the highest potential, all of us. And at any moment, each of us is capable of enlightenment and liberation. And it's the essential gift that we offer to each other to see that in the other. Even if they tell us, yes, yes, you're right, I'm the Buddha, but you're a piece of shit. Doesn't matter. Even then, recognize that the Buddha is there in front of you. The Buddha may come in a very strange and distorted form. Mother Teresa used to say that of the, the poor she met in, in Calcutta, that this each one was Christ in a very strange form, but each being, whether they were outcasts, poverty-stricken, diseased, criminal, but each one was Christ. If we can give that gift and see beneath the ego, exterior, no matter how ugly it might be, no matter how damaged, no matter how traumatized, we will help that inner divine light to emerge. But we must offer that also to ourselves, to see through one's own ego identity that had taken on perhaps some stigma or stain from the other's projections early in life, we must, we have a duty to let go of that, to let the light emerge, to recognize that I am the Buddha, I am the Atman, I am the luminous being of light and love, and joy, and live from that place, not from the wounds, not from the negativity that the other might have thrown on you. Don't let it stick. If you are empty, there's nothing for it to stick to. It can't be held unless you choose to hold it out of resentment, out of a choice to get even in some way. You think I'm bad, I'll show you how bad I am. And many people will do that. Or you think that I'm, I'm unworthy, I'll prove you're right and I'll make you suffer for that. We have to let go. We have to let there be a clean slate and live in the present, not in the past. And in the present, all of us are liberated at this very moment. It's only when we create thoughts that are opposed to liberation that we take it away from ourselves. But it's here inherently at this moment. It's simply a choice to live in this state and not create obstacles or masks, charades of being anything other than the Buddha. And we can free ourselves now from the wounds. Because if we don't and we see the other as non-Buddha, then we justify our own ego and its defense mechanisms and its refusal to love. And we maintain that cycle of non-love when the world is dying for the lack of the love that we are withholding from it. And the first 
step we take to let go and open our hearts, the other will take a step toward us as well until all of us are willing to take the risk to open to love. So that's what we're doing when we sit to meditate. We're opening to the divine love that we are. Forgiving the other and forgiving ourselves. It's very important not to hold on to any shame by thinking, oh, but all those years that I didn't open up to love, what a terrible person I am. How can I open now? I don't deserve the gift of love. And we'll justify staying closed. There's no justification. Open up. Let go. Because that ego that is staying closed is an illusion. It doesn't really exist. It's just a thought. And the thought only has reality as long as we believe in it and justify it. The moment you say, no, that, that illusion never had reality. It's gone. And there are no obstacles. And the heart's natural state of openness and joy emerges instantly. It doesn't require time. You are free now. And so the meditation is the time to celebrate our freedom. Realize it, celebrate it, and offer it to all beings. Okay, so that's Shunyamurti giving his take on how things are, which I pretty much agree with every word that he just said. Um, I do my best to express that, but he's got a very clear way of expressing it, despite being a, a bit of a creepy cult leader type. I'm not endorsing anything about him. I just like what he has to say. Uh, I don't know whether he's a creepy cult leader or not, but uh, I'm certainly not getting on a plane to go to Puerto Rico or wherever anytime soon. There's no need to do that. Just listen to what he says. He's interesting. He's got a good take on how the world is. And I've been finding that seeing the world as the dancing Shiva is the perfect way to see the world for me at the moment. Given that uh, the world can be rough, it can be a tough place to be, it, it forms character, but it's tough in the process, and it, it burns burns people into shape in lots of different ways. But ultimately, everybody is the Buddha. And that is, the everybody is Shiva. That is the only way to see the world. Uh, Neville Goddard said the same thing. He said, everybody's God. And if you, if you, if you grant everybody their ability to be sovereign, their ability to be divine, their ability to be interdependent and independent at the same time, part of a whole and the whole itself, then you're granting them everything that they need to live. And by doing that, you're reaffirming your own divinity and your own sovereignty and your own ability to 
to live in the world and see the world as God. I think it's a it's a very important thing to to understand. It took me a while to to understand the the Shiva and ego thing, the God and ego, but that two circles, small circle with a big circle around it, is the way that I visualize it conceptually. And then you can become the larger circle and dissolve the small one. You can visualize it dissolving. You can visualize it melting away and become absorbed by the larger the larger being. I found it found it quite helpful. And dancing Shiva is a good image. It's a very powerful image. In that sense, I agree with Aldous. So that's pretty much it. It lasted roughly the, the time that I thought it would last, just over 30 minutes. Once I start rambling a little bit, it adds, adds on a couple of minutes. So that's it. That's the show for now. And I'll, I'll do the real thing tomorrow, but I might post this just in case there are technical issues. I had some technical issues yesterday, last week. So at least I've got a copy of the show that I want to do. If if there are, for whatever reason the laptop doesn't work properly tomorrow, so that's it for now. Thanks for thanks for listening, and I'll see you again tomorrow afternoon on Revolution Radio.